And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 82 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, June 8th, 2015. So you're ready for the quadruple, triple, 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 triple? Yeah, that's right. Last night was TV for a triplet of different audiences. You either watched LeBron James and the Cavaliers eke out a last-minute dramatic win to bring the championship series to one apiece and ready for game. Are you ready for it? Three. Or maybe you let your theater freak flag fly and watch the three-hour Tony Awards where Kelly O'Hara takes the best actress for The King and I... Or Helen Mirren win her, I don't know, 32nd award for playing Queen Elizabeth in some other production. At least I think it's 33. It might be 45 at this point. Anyway, or your third option was to watch Game of Thrones where, well, I have no idea what happened because I T-voted to watch one of the above. And I'm not telling you which one. Go Cavs. But you'll never have to choose with PNR's This Old Marketing. We're going to bring you the triple, triple, triple. That's right. It's the triple double of news and events from the world of content marketing. And then it's the triple threat of singing, dancing, and acting our way through this week's best show tunes of native advertising content strategy and digital marketing goodness. We'll bring all of it to you with a triple-headed raven, Game of Thrones, rants and raves, and This Old Marketing to whet your appetite. And of course, how can we forget one more triple, the triple crown that American Pharaoh won over the weekend, winning the Belmont Stakes. So let's get this horse race started, folks, and for that, it's time for me to introduce my co-host, my friend, my colleague, and the triple A, triple D, and triple H of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? That was a that was a great intro, and actually, I have one to add to that. Yeah, because I didn't. Because as I think everyone knows that I don't listen. I don't know what you're going to say, so I just listen to it for the first time, just <laughs> like every other listener. So yesterday. There was okay. You talked about the triple crown first time sure. since what 1978 that we've yeah, had a yeah. triple crown winner. Uh, yesterday, Miguel Cabrera, former triple crown winner uh, for what does he play for the Detroit Tigers now? He hit a home run, and that's the first time a triple crown winner has hit a home run when the triple crown was won by a horse since I think it was Lou Gehrig in 1935. Wow. So there that is only something that a baseball geek can appreciate. <laughs> That's help from ESPN. There are all frankly. we are we are already going to get fourteen emails about how we talk too much sports on this episode. Well, let's <laughs> let's talk more Cavs. Let's hey, let's absolutely. How do you how do you not talk about the Cavs in that game? It was amazing. That game was the heart of the Cavs. Oh my god, it was a great game. I'm, I mean, even you on the West Coast are rooting for my Cavs. I, I have to that. say I am. I mean, you know, come on. The Golden State Warriors, not so much, right? I mean, this is – I mean, I have to be rooting for the Cavs. The The heart this team has shown is just is fantastic. I, you know, I love it. It's absolutely the ugliest offense I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. It's a bunch every, of misfits. It's a bunch I love of misfits every out there. I minute of it. It's just like – they just—I don't know—they just wanted it a lot yesterday, yeah. and you I can don't know. See. I mean, can you will yourself to three more wins? Yeah, when I don't know. It's you gonna don't be have the—it's going to be tough. It's going to be really, really tough. But I—I'm—I'm I'm so hopeful. I'm so hopeful for the heart. You know, it's just—it's—I really am. Well, it would make a great story, and we love stories. We do. So. We do love stories. <laughs> All right. Do we have any? Uh... We have uh, a bunch of news to talk about, Excellent. and of course, we're going to open the show with our favorite social network that we love to hate here at PNR, our friends at Facebook. Dun, dun, dun. We have two stories to pair together here. This is a topic that we've talked, you know, at, at some length about, but seems to be sort of 
really taking front and center. And it's paired with some news that actually broke literally today, which I think will put all of this into context. So we're pairing really three stories together here um, just to uh, talk about this. And the first one is from Pew Research, um, which uh, had put out some uh, a really nice, interesting article that talks about how Facebook's deal with publisher is a stark reminder of the digital ad gulf and the sort of big gap there. And big hat tip to James Gardner, by the way, for sending us this story. And it opens up by saying that the past few weeks have seen major attempts by the news industry to find all sorts of new creative ways to survive in today's digital age, and particularly when it comes to advertising. And it was just reported last week that Politico is now building Politico Focus, which is a department devoted to working with advertisers to help develop content. Vox Media just acquired Recode. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on. And interestingly, this is then paired with a story that we got out of Seeking Alpha that talks all through this thing that we talked about, I think, a couple of weeks ago with Facebook's instant stories. And this comes to us from SeekingAlpha.com and a hat tip here to Corrales Cachola, um, who gave us this story, which talks about this I mean, a love story to Facebook that talks about how Facebook is just going to kill it with all of this stuff. What did you make with all of this, Joe? I mean, the Facebook sort of, you know, is is Facebook going to take over the world? I mean, I know we talked about this, but it seems like every day we're seeing these new stories about how Facebook is just going to kill it with these new instant articles. Well, what what is interesting, if you look at the Pew numbers, I mean, they're dominating digital display ad revenue. Uh, Facebook is. Right, and if you look at that, you even—I mean—that's the number below it. Twenty-eight percent still. Twenty-eight percent of all digital ad revenue is going to Facebook, and then it's uh, like—I think it was said that Google uh, and the others are the other twenty-five percent, and then fifty percent is just sort of you know out there. No, this is yeah. This is the this is the one stat that that really hits hard. Of all U.S. advertising revenue, twenty-eight percent comes from digital ads. So. Still, the majority of advertising is still not digital. So if you look at Facebook being a Goliath and you believe that the move continues to go, and by the way, there's a great chart in here on the collapse of the advertising industry, or the newspaper ad industry. Yeah, the newspaper ad industry, yeah, for sure. Which you don't realize that 2001 really wasn't the one that did did them in. It was the 2007-8-9 recession that's right. that they that's basically right. half the industry and now it's just treading water and keeps you know keeps losing 10% a year. But if you, from that standpoint, wow, Facebook has a lot of power. I just I'd still have a problem with the publishers that we what is it? New York Times, National Geographic that I mean, maybe they're the smart ones. Maybe they're the smart ones for saying, look, we, we know that there's this big moat around Facebook, as is talked about in that Seeking Alpha, Alpha article, that maybe we need to get on board now or we're going to lose an opportunity. So they're going to get in bed with Facebook and start producing content there. I mean, are they I, smart or are they crazy? Well, I think this guy is in bed with Facebook. Well, I mean, let's, I think he's quite literally in bed with Facebook, snuggling and cuddling and spooning with them, I think. It, it, this article is too much. I mean... It is a look, love letter to Facebook. It is yes. a love letter to Facebook. and how. I mean, he uses the words like genius. They're genius for what they're going to be able to do and become... He actually brings Pangea into the... He's, they're going to be the Pangea of publishing. I, I just don't believe it. I, I don't... I, I think... You know, when I look at and he links to and 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 uh, their financial results, and I actually went around and went to the investor relations site and started to pour through a little bit of the annual or the quarterly report rather to see the financial results. And 
my take on this is that this is Facebook chasing users because what they talk about in the financial – so yes, revenue is growing. Yes, Facebook is doing very well. I want to be very clear. Facebook is doing well from a revenue growth perspective. But if you look at it, the revenue total is growing much slower than the percentage of revenue that's coming from one, advertising, and then two, mobile advertising. So if you look at those two growths, to me what that says is that the money is moving faster than it's actually growing. And if you look at that and you go, okay, great, we're actually following the users. They're actually, you know, they were on digital and now they're on mobile and now we're going to follow them to mobile and we're going to, and as we've talked about many times on this show, it's a different experience. You're, you, the desktop experience and the mobile experience and the advertising effectiveness in those two experiences are very, very different. And so content becomes really important. So you think, okay, great, well, they're making these deals to get this uh, revenue in from publishers ultimately because something's going to have to take the place of those ads when people aren't clicking on them. So maybe it's charging publishers for the space to be there with content. That seems to me to be a smart business move, but it ultimately gets right back to what we talked about before is it's just another fast lane that will ultimately be clogged with the number of publishers and then they have to keep adding lanes and tolls to that and the highest bidder wins. And so for brands, the takeaway is Facebook isn't a long-term strategy other than if you want to pay to play. If you want to look at it as a broadcast media where you pay for advertising, great. It's like ABC or NBC. It's a broadcast channel that you stick ads on that hopefully and ultimately content on that you hope your users and consumers see. So what you're saying is, is that you believe that Facebook is letting these publishers in. I know I totally get what you're saying with the brand side, but they're letting these publishers in for now. They're going to monetize them like they normally do you want for some now. Candy little girl, <laughs> but in the in the very near future, they could then be charging for that access. That's Ab- what you're saying. Absolutely. So they're going. They become a, it becomes I mean, a paid content play for for Facebook. Exactly. You. I mean, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, as George Bush would say, won't get fooled again. So I, you know, it it is I. I dare say I would advise a brand not to not to play this game. You know, it is ultimately if you want to pay for some level of awareness building now in the early days to get in on this Facebook thing, I think it's a probably a smart play. Over time it's just going to become more and more expensive and ultimately it's going to they're you know, they're going to get these publishers hooked on that traffic and I think it's, you know, especially now that we add this third piece in, which was the breaking news today out of uh, Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference uh, show that happened this morning, where they said they're launching a new uh, competitor to Facebook Instant Pages, as well as Flipboard and other, a newsreader that will be compatible with iOS devices, et cetera, that will really be um, a, a way for publishers to monetize their own content through the iOS platform and kind of a flipboard type of interface. And I think that's going to throw everything into a, a little bit of chaos here. Well, this is uh, – they're taking a page right from Amazon here. Yeah, I mean, th- exactly. This is, th- this is where I think it's going for – when you look at a company and you look at content – even let's just say content marketing and you're, you're figuring out how do I show proof of performance? So many people look at one or two things when I think if you really uh, stand back a little bit, you'll look and see there are many different ways that we can show that this thing is working for. Well, let's just say you're a brand. You could actually 
generate revenue directly from the content like a media company would, like right, Red Bull right. does. Apple is doing it in this case. Or uh, you could you could do things like, hey, this is better quality leads or our customers stay longer and things like that. What I love is that Apple is doing this because they can. It's almost like low-hanging fruit for them. It really is. They already have the de- the devices. It's the same thing. Facebook and Apple are almost doing the exact same things. They have the eyeballs. They have uh, the distribution mechanism, yep. and they're just saying how many how many w- things can we sell from this? That's exactly right. I mean, this is you know not to get too esoteric into sort of business school type thinking, but there's a a, a Stewart brand. Um, that they uh, and I'm forgetting the name of it. It's his model for uh, change and and business change and how change and how slowly change happens and those that can build sort of sustaining businesses. And he talks about this idea of you know the top two layers. I won't get into. There's a, it's a whole seven layer thing, but there's this top layer he calls fashion, and then below that is infrastructure. And the idea is is that if you can get into the infrastructure, you have a lot more. You know, it, things are much slower to change there, and it gives you a lot more freedom to try fashionable things. And I think this is exactly what you're seeing right now. Facebook is a fashion. It is not. It is very much trying to become part of the infrastructure of people's lives. But it's even with as big a user base as it has, I don't think it's there yet. If you look at something like Apple, they have built into the infrastructure, into the operating system, into the hardware and devices that you use. Now they can layer over whatever they want, like Amazon does, right? Amazon mm-hmm. layers over services and experiences over that infrastructure that really just it gives them so much more freedom to try these things and compete in areas where, quite frankly, they don't have to make money. And even if it only becomes a platform for publishers, you know, I don't suspect Apple's going to sort of open up to brands this idea of publishing into the platform. They may. They may open it up like the App Store and allow you to do that. But even if they open it up to publishers and it just frees publishers up to to do something other than Facebook, which may then open up Facebook to say, oh my gosh, we have to open this up to brands faster. That may actually provide an opportunity to marketers in a, you know, given a longer runway. So it'll be really interesting to watch what happens between Apple and Facebook over the next eight, nine months to see which one of these platforms really takes off. Okay. You want, you want my prediction? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I love predictions. Here's my prediction. You got to hold me to it because we got to check yeah, back in six absolutely. months. Inside six months, Apple buys Flipboard. I would not be surprised at that. I would, and it, just to take just to take it off the market. You mean just take it off the table? Well, they'll just it was so. I mean, also announced today, they Apple announced the whole Apple Music thing, which was sure the streaming music, yeah, streaming, yep, yeah, yeah. So basically, the if you we always say the Borg of Oracle, but the Borg of Apple, you know, subsumes uh, Beats. And you know now it now you've got the whole Apple Music thing. So that just happened. Uh, so they're doing all that. I think that hey, if if Apple's really uh, thinks that this whole thing about the newsreader is is going to work, then why not go out with all the cash they have? It's not even funny how much cash they could. They hardly oh, anything so it would much. cost them to buy yeah. Flipboard. Then yeah. they could go ahead, take the greatest technology and developers that Flipboard has to offer. They already have the business model around that. Just go ahead and sync it right into whatever the Apple Reader becomes, and there you go. I like that. I like that. All right, I'll hold you to that. Six one. months. We have to. We have a running list of bad predi- somebody, predictions. Somebody has wrong. a running list of this thing. Yeah. I mean, Predi- I'm, I'm. You know, the funny thing is, I've been seeing my 
Google buys Twitter prediction that we did back on the prediction show come up like four or five times in the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, really? hey, man, I said that. Nobody's going to remember. Is somebody got a list going? <laughs> we have to, yeah, we have a new show, actually a new podcast called Predictions Gone Wild. And all we do... <laughs> Is thirty minutes of crazy predictions, <laughs> and whoever and whoever loses the prediction has to lift up their top. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, we'll get in. No, I can't. I mean, I mean, <laughs> so many things I want to say. Yeah. Let's just Chewba- go. It's, on it's, to the it, next. It'll be Chewbacca versus the Michelin Man. Yeah, I mean that's. <laughs> Well, that's what uh, – so uh, my good friend Joe Kalinowski for, for a late birthday present got me um, Luke Skywalker underoos, but the orange right. ones, you know, he's with the, of the Jedi uh, – which uh, what's the plane? The X-Wing. <laughs> the Millennium Falcon. No, no, no. no the X-Wing. Now. So Luke Skywalker in the X-Wing, and, you know, of course, they, some people call me Chewy as yeah. well. So I was going to be Chook. Chook. Chewy Luke. Right? Luke. Okay, let's go on. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to our yeah. next story, Chook. Um, Honda pumps the brakes on content marketing. Nice little turn of phrase there. Big hat tip to Helena Swedberg, by the way, for passing on this story through the hashtag ThisOldMarketing on Twitter. And this comes to us courtesy of WallStreetJournal.com. And it opens up by saying, last year, Honda looked to make a big splash in the marketing world by announcing it was going to redirect its budget for cable TV advertising into developing its own digital destination, a website, and a YouTube channel. But, dun-dun-dun, a year later, users didn't flock to the site or the channel the way Honda had hoped. And while the company still plans to push into digital media, Honda said that they're not building out a content destination. It's no longer going to be a focus of their marketing strategy. And then it goes on to describe about how this was all a big hashtag fail and they didn't really like it and it wasn't providing the audience they need. What did you think about this? Man, this depresses me. The whole the by the nothing wrong with the article, by the way. Yeah, the but, article's great. Yeah, but it, it's so we, of course we doing our due, due diligence at this old marketing. We going to the archives of of the uh, the Honda stage. That's um, right. Site and go through, and we find that they haven't outside of the One Direction promotional video. They haven't posted any uh, of their own videos for four months, and the oldest video on the site is from 11 months ago. So, of course, we do the math. That means that they had this program running for seven months. Right. You can't say Honda pumps the brakes on trying to become a media company when they, they never even get out on the, the first gas, year. Right? I mean, yeah, right. I mean, this I mean, is... And this is the same thing that I, I that frustrates me about what's going on. And you have these huge initiatives, and people, some some executive gets some idea, and they say, "This is what we're going to do." You don't even know at this point whether or not it's a good or a bad idea. You're still right. in test phase. That's right. Uh, it could be great. It, I, I don't know. I mean, there's. There, I was looking at it. I think there's some consistency issues. I think the other issue that you and I talked about before is what I don't know about. The, the whole program that they were trying to run at Honda is what, why is this content any different from something I could get on 30 other sites? That's right. That's what I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of concert footage. Of course it's on a Honda for sponsored stage. That's great. But you know, and, and uh, Andrew Davis says all the time, you know, are you creating commodity content? Most places do. I don't know if this is commodity content, but I sure as heck know that is not differentiated content. Yeah, well, I mean, well, and here's why it doesn't depress me. Um, You know, so 
absolutely they may have wanted to execute this better maybe and i think really to your point they clearly didn't i mean there is there and we have no idea no insight into what not happened not here a, where you know whether it was something that really worked and just didn't or whether it was something that it was kind of a half hearted um, uh, attempt into, you know, all sorts of things could have happened here to sort of, you know, so we can sit here and, you know, summarize and diagnose and, you know, pick it apart all day long. I guess what I really, what, what it calls out to me is one, not every, it, just because, you know, there's no guarantee here with content marketing. It's not as if content, everything you do in content marketing will be successful. Every media company has their flop. Every media company has their wild box office success. And in most cases, if you're doing something interesting, you have no idea which one it's going to be. And the really interesting thing to me here is, and the thing that the sentence that I pulled out, as I said, where they said it's, it was redirecting its budget for cable TV advertising to developing its own digital destination. Well, let's be really clear here. They, given what I know about budgets and given what I know about how Honda spends money on media, they redirected a very small part of their cable television budget to this. And so they spend hundreds of millions of dollars to do this. To set up this YouTube channel, to set up that website was certainly a very small fraction of that. So was it worth that very small fraction of a very large budget to test and see if this would work and then it didn't? The answer to that is absolutely yes. It was totally worth it, even if they failed at it. Now, again, they may have failed because of execution. They may have failed because it was a bad idea. They may have failed because all of the above. But understanding that and then iterating, this is the, when we talked about the Verizon thing with the sugar string thing, right? That understanding that this is not a campaign that if and if the campaign fails then content marketing is not good or or they should pour repour more money back into traditional marketing that's not the answer the answer is is that if we're investing in a process if we're investing in content some of it's going to work and some of it's not that doesn't mean the, the the process is flawed it means that some of the ideas fail and that's the that's the real difference here so it doesn't depress me the only thing that would depress me is if honda says yeah we're not going to do that content thing because one thing failed no i totally i i totally hear what you're saying i just don't i don't have enough insight into this i mean i'm asking all we're asking all kinds of questions i'm sure they have the answers from lots of smart people i'll bet there. you they don't have the answer well for but a lot it, of this. so their goal they had an ambitious goal of two billion fan impressions which, across which they digital reached social, which, yeah, they, which reached. they reached so and then then it then it goes on to say well the youtube channel generated just over 1 million views and it's almost stated like that was a bad thing. Yeah. No, now, a million subscribers to be clear. A million subscribers. It wasn't it, it's not a million views. It's a million subscribers. No, totally. it says a million views here. I swear to mm, god. I think it's a million subscribers. Honda does it, not make subscriber numbers public for the channel. They hide those. It says YouTube channel generated just over 1 million views. Oh, you're right. You're right. Sorry. So, I read But that it wrong. doesn't yep. it doesn't matter the the point is that Let's let's use a comparison, a pretty good comparison to use. Let's look at Guitar Center. Guitar Center won Content Marketing Program of the Year last year. They've been doing this for a long, long time. If you look at, if you're looking at it by a, by a views basis, the views that each video gets at Guitar Center's YouTube channel is eerily similar to what Honda gets. Right. 
they just been doing it a lot longer and right. consistently and thematically they've got they're they're doing different things in each channel that they have so i don't know i would just i well, wish this, they would have taken I mean, it different and i don't know yeah. what by the way what does 2 billion fan impressions mean that i'm sure right that's, then they're, i mean then they're they're measuring that's taking, this right that's taking a classic marketing measurement right. and saying and, and trying to apply it to to a content marketing model which is just a it's just a it's an exercise in failure right if you want to feel bad about yourself then do that you know it the, this is the part, you know, where in all of the workshops we do and the advisories we do for clients, we talk about this. The one thing that brands have that media companies don't is they don't have a need to be big. You don't have to be big. You just need to be remarkable to the audience that you need to be remarkable to. So you don't have to go viral. You know, to to, to your point, Joe, the, the Guitar Center only needed to be relevant to those very few customers who were actually going to take an action and value that That's thing. right. You know, when we talk about Cisco and what they created with that documentary, the network effect, those videos were getting like four, five, six thousand views each, but that wasn't their point. Their purpose was actually to serve as assets to get interest from C level people at other telecommunications companies, which it did. So it served its purpose, it met its goal without actually becoming viral, without reaching some magical number of reach or impressions that we somehow mistakenly yeah. assign value you know, to. It's such a great point. Um, I saw the – so when I was uh, – where was I? In Slovenia, I saw the good folks from Spoon Agency over there. They did a, a, a case study on Volvo trucks. And they showed the you know the Van Damme video and he's yeah, in between yeah, the two right, trucks right. and doing yeah. that, and it's which is fan. part of a huge campaign that nobody ever sees. That's it. The the, the right. thing that they don't know is that's a business to business program selling right. trucks, fleet truck fleets, and they talked about getting the interest with the Van Damme videos, but then coming back into these you know these videos that were getting two, three, four thousand views of the right people right. to these really hardcore business type videos, and it was working for them. So it's just interesting that it, yeah, it's not a numbers play. It's, it's yeah, yeah. It's not a numbers play unless it is a numbers play, and then of course it's a help numbers play. me help you <laughs> help, help me, me help you, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to our next story, and this one is a funny one. This one comes from the Onion. Um, and the article actually is on Ad Age, but it's how the Onion gets people to read sponsored content. This article opens up by saying about a month ago, The Onion posted an article to its Facebook page, there we go, um, with the headline, Complete Idiot Forgets to Shave Area Between Nose and Mouth. The complete idiot, of course, in this case, has a mustache. Um, This post has more than 13,000 likes, 2,200 shares, and reams of comments, and it's also a sponsored post for the Schick uh, Extreme 3 Razor. Um, and it's very, very interesting here because there's labeled actually, it, and we've talked about how publications are labeling their things as sponsored content or native advertising here. And the Onion labeled this as this is a stone where our soul once was, making it a very funny thing, integrating the disclosure into the content itself and almost a meta way to say this is an ad. I thought this was really, really interesting. What did you think? No, I think it's fantastic and and kind of the whole point of it and our our good folks at Contently here at the end, uh, end of uh, the presentation, Sam Slaughter, VP of Content, talks about it. Right. I totally agree with this 
basically the onion keeps its tone with its sponsored content. So he says, if another publisher is about thoughtfulness, thoughtfulness and intelligence, its sponsored content needs to be thoughtful and intelligent. So humor and gossip, same way. So I like that fact. What did surprise me is I didn't know that 90% of the deals that the onion did were, were sponsored content oriented, that there was a custom package as part of that. That's like, that's, that's very similar to what we see with Buzzfeed. Yeah. They're making, they're, they're making money on this. But, you know, it, it, but I think Funnier Die is moving this way too. They, Funnier Die now has a complete studio separate that does that um, that creates custom content for brands that is then featured on Funnier Die. You have to, right? Because and we it's talked a, about this what two yeah. episodes. How many people are going to sit through the pre roll? That's what I couldn't believe about the AOL Verizon deal where they talked about this amazing pre roll ad technology that AOL has. And I'm like, well, how long are we going to get That's an oxymoron, my friend. Amazing pre-roll technology. Man, no. Yeah. This is truly amazing. No, this pre-roll, you're going to love it. This is a remarkable pre-roll. No, but seriously, so I think it's all coming down to, to this. It's a lot easier with folks like The Onion and Funny or Die because sure. – it's right. not like you're the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, and you That's don't right. have a you know this this. But credibility there are creative factor. ways to do that too. You know what I mean? I mean that's the thing I guess that's really that's you know. It's this idea. I mean, I wrote about this in my intelligent content, uh, my intelligent content letter uh, this week. I spoke about this idea of when your story gets acquired, and what I meant by that is when your story gets lost in the acquisition. And I talked about this one company that was this beloved company, speakeasy.net, which was an internet service provider that I loved and geeks loved for old and old and old time ago. And it became another company called Megapath. And I'm not even making that name up. The, the, the company was called Megapath. And then the content that you started to get from them, emails and the website and everything became way more corporate. And then, of course, it got swallowed up by a company called Global Capacity, not even making that name up either. So Global Capacity, then, you know, all remnants of anything with, you know, sort of personality or brand or anything has just disappeared. And now the communication I get is an email from them. And I'm not even kidding here. The email I get from them now is here's your invoice and here's four paragraphs of safe harbor statements about the legalese about all these acquisitions we've made. And that's their customer communication. That's their content. And a lot of times what the, what fascinates me, and this is gets to the point that you were making, is people changed this. People said, this is a good idea. We should do this. We should actually change the content to say this because this will be better. And it's just like, no, it's not better. It's worse. It's much, much worse. And, I, you know, to, to have a little bit of creativity to hear whether you're the Wall Street Journal, The Onion, AOL, New York Times, Condé Nast, whatever, take the personality of your brand and use it everywhere in your content, you know, even the disclosures on your native advertising. Well, the the other thing is you have a choice. I've talked with a number of publishers. I just had a conversation with a very respected publisher that didn't want to get into doing native advertising the way that, let's say, a Forbes does native advertising. And I said, right. well, don't. Right. There's, you, there's exactly. no model. You don't have to do it that way. You don't have to have 18 right. sponsored content watch out danger uh, type of things. You could you your thing could be research. Right. Your thing could be uh, look. You'll take some direction off the what the content should be, and then the and then the sponsor stays completely out of it. 
or they could be integrated into it. There's no rules for this right now, and there never has been, and there never right. will be, in my opinion. That's right. I think you can we're figure all out figuring what makes this the stuff most out. sense. And the onions found a pretty darn good way to do it. So yes, we're all figuring this stuff out for sure. All right, our last story of the show is called "Publishing in Commerce." Will it work? Um, this comes to us from WWD.com, and it's a very long article. This one will – sit down for this one. It's going to take you a while. Uh, it says – opens up by saying magazine e-commerce is today's holy grail of publishing. The question is, will the grail ever be found? And they say publishers are certainly pl- praying that it will be as newsstand and advertising revenues plummet. Magazine companies are desperately seeking new streams of revenue to plug the holes, and they're pumping money into TV programming, online videos, native advertising, and more, just like we talked about. Now they're looking at commerce. Dun, dun, dun. And will it work? What do you think, Joe Polizzi? I, I, I suspect I know your answer to this. <laughs> no, I think they should take a page. So this, it's an interesting article that, that almost paints it as uh, the media business is never going to come back. Uh, advertising is going away. So commerce is like the last bastion of hope for the entire industry. And I totally disagree with that, just yeah, on, right, exactly. on the fact that we just talked about Apple. We just talked about Amazon, where they have multiple ways to right. generate revenue from content. And I think that's where you you don't you can still do, you can still monetize it through sponsorship and advertising and all the other things as you grow out these other areas. I don't I don't think it's an all or nothing proposition. I don't know if they're painting it this way, but that's certainly how I took it. Yeah, uh, no, exactly. I mean, I don't know why. It's so funny. Every time I read an article that talks about how a media company is offering up products, it's almost everybody goes, oh, right, duh. Of course, Marvel Comics is going to offer up, you know, a movie with action figures. And, oh, of course, the new Star Wars is going to introduce a new robot that actually works so that when they introduce this radio-controlled version of this little robot, that this is going to be the huge must-have Christmas toy for 2015. Of course. Of course they are. But then when we flip that and we say how uh, this media company like or a brand should start to offer you know, the reverse, then all of a sudden it gets weird. Like all of a sudden, why are we – why would this publisher actually offer up an econ- What That's weird and stupid and they struggle <laughs> with it and I, you know. But he, so it, here's, the, here's the thing I don't get. Explain this to me. So there's a lot of – Media companies out there that do affiliate programs for for e-commerce, and they right, by the they way, touch, this article, yeah, they touch on it. Yeah, yeah, this article goes into a great detail right. about okay, what's the church and state relationship on the editorial between what we talk about and all that stuff with affiliate programs. So they basically mention affiliate programs, which are the easiest to do, but you get four or five percent of the sale. Uh, you get you have the you know joint ventures revenue shares which are a little bit better and then they talk about the third one which is like the holy grail which is actually keeping your own inventory doing your own logistics and selling things out of a warehouse like a regular bricks and mortar retailer right. would do now That's so right. so he, I get that right but is that correct because you were the one I don't know what the quote was a couple weeks ago uh, from from your your one mentor you were talking about that said. You know, Facebook is the largest media company that doesn't have any content, and Uber is the largest transportation sure, company that exactly. has no cars. So why are we then? Why are we saying that in order for this model to work, they actually have to have inventory when the leading retailers around the world 
are going away from that or the leading exactly. businesses are going away from that model. Exactly. I mean, and so I think that is summed up the what the quote for me out of that whole article was they, they're talking about Net-A-Porter, right? So for those of you who don't know, Net-A-Porter is an e- a fashion company that has an editorial strategy and has really seamlessly and very successfully embedded e-commerce and the ability to buy products into this wonderful editorial that they have there. And the quote is, uh, the strength of Porter is the infrastructure, said the publishing director of Net-A-Porter, Tess McLeod-Smith. The company has the expertise and technology, and here's the, here's the money line. It takes a very different set of skills to publish the magazine, and it takes a whole different set of skills to make e-commerce successful. And that's it. It's understanding the I, – I was talking two weeks ago to a huge, well-known consumer-based publisher. They have – 27 different consumer brands, you would recognize them all. Celebrity magazines, sports magazines, all sorts of magazines that you would – huge worldwide known brands. And they said, we're thinking about getting into this content marketing and e-commerce thing. What do you think? And I said, great. And they said, well, here's our first you know, foray we've been trying. We haven't been getting any results at all. And they showed me one of the magazine brands that has been experimenting with this e-commerce thing. And the site was horrible. It was awful. And it was hidden. And it was behind you know, a, a URL that was a mile deep. And there was no editorial at all. It was just a list of products that was sort of – it looked like a, you know, a, a, a QVC type commercial right where there's just a list of products and buy now and a 1-800 number and and i and i went this is not the experience of your brand why would you even believe that this is halfway decent and they were like oh right well that's great and it's like why am i the guy telling you this 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 is you need to understand that this is a different way of going to market and get the requisite skills to do that why it you know we would recommend let's say that there's a um a retailer that doesn't have, let's say, a content marketing program or any assets, we might make the recommendation that they do some due diligence, do some research, find out some of the retail programs that would fit with what content they're talking about and and, and buy. Um, I'm sorry, sorry. If you, yeah, so if you're a retailer, you would buy media companies that would attract sure. those kind of people. Absolutely. Why don't they just do the opposite? Like why doesn't exactly why why don't you go out and say look we are really really good at publishing but we need a better revenue model why don't you just buy some reta- online retailers that fit in with what you sell I mean, which is exactly the old I'm trying to remember I'm going through my old notes but two or three shows ago our this old marketing example was exactly that a comp- a great company that made oh that's the surfing company no right? no no even before that the pub the the knitting company that had created they they'd created all of these publications that were around knitting and crafting oh, and all that. Yes. And then they went out and bought the, the, the woman's brand who had the, the, the crafting e-commerce site, and they merged the two companies. And they're doing great business with this. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's more difficult than we're making it out to be. <laughs> no, of course, yeah, well, of course, everything's more difficult than we make it out I to be. I don't understand We're a bunch of this. knuckleheads. We're just, we're just two knuckleheads well, I mean, the, chattering I, up in the theater well, going, Arm. I mean, I, you make the point about you know skills, and it's a different business, and they're talking about how editors really shouldn't, you know, this is a totally new business for them. Yes, it is. So yes, it is. Let's go get the expertise, or let's go, you know, what makes sense with the culture. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Speaking of expertise, we have a wonderful sponsor that is an expert. We do. 
and we want to thank them for the second week in a row. Woo-hoo. Our good friends Ba-dum-bum. at Citrix, <laughs> Citrix go-to Da-dum-dum. webinar. Da-dum-dum. I love this introduction. Content marketers who are finding continued success with webinars are broadening the scope of how they use them. I think that came from who would that come from? That maybe came from Some Robert head Rose. Sits up in the theater and goes. Yeah. So basically, our good friends, of course, uh, as you know, when we have sponsors and supporters, we like them to give our audience amazing pieces of content, and this is one of them. They went out and got the most amazing writer for this one. I blah blah. blah. I don't know if you had some extra time or what, no, but this is fantastic. So. Uh, we're basically it's a good piece of content. Yeah, it's, it's a good a, piece of content. It's, it's, it's a good it's, research. What, what's, what's really good there is the research that CMI did uh, in conjunction with this that actually talks about the best practices in webinar. So basically, yeah. So you wrote a brief uh, here with the good folks that go to webinar, and it explores how and why content marketers are expanding the use of webinars across all stages of the buyer's journey, not just the awareness stage, not just That's even right. at the po- yeah post conversion stage. We look at all of them. Uh, you need to go to gotowebinar.com slash CMI. That's CMI, all caps. Gotowebinar.com slash CMI. Download the brief. You'll learn why you should broaden your scope. And maybe you're using webinars incorrectly. Maybe. 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 <laughs> Best practices for approaching content by purpose <laughs> and how to map webinars across the entirety of the buyer's journey. And every t- I'm sorry. Every time I see the word entirety, you can bet that Robert Rose has been in that word document. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. He made me snort, man. Entirety. The entirety of my snort. Everything is an entirety. Oh the entirety of this piece. Go to webinar.com slash CMI, all caps. Thanks to our wonderful sponsor, Go Thank to Webinar. You, we really, really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, folks, it is time for your favorite part of the show, our rants and raves section, where we go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that is giving us, making us feel like, well, about like the Golden State Warriors feel right about now, um, or make us feel like we just watched that episode of Game of Thrones. Very satisfied. Um, all right. So you're going first, aren't I'm you? I'm going because first. You have this old mark. I have this old mark. finally got that right. I, you're, you're spot on this episode, my friend. Uh, <laughs> this, so this, this is a rave sort of. Uh, there's just a couple parts of this article. Real briefly, I won't spend a lot of time on it. This is from Business Insider, and the title is How This 28-Year-Old Turned a website he built when he was 12 into a media empire. And I got, the, by the way, great title for me because I'm looking for people that are creating media empires because that's what we're focusing on for uh, our, the Content Inc. book coming out in September. But the, the, the gentleman's name is Emerson Sparts. Have you ever heard of this guy? Have you heard I have of him not. before? I don't 28 know. years old, married, a college grad, CEO of Sparts Incorporated, a media empire of websites that publish funny, inspirational, and mind-blowing posts. Um, there's a couple parts of this. So basically, this guy's a genius. Uh, he basically, at 12 years old, he at, he dropped out of grade school and taught himself code and actually self-taught himself the all of high school. And he asked his parents if he could basically homeschool himself. That's how smart this kid is. Wow. <laughs> Homeschools himself. I mean, he made, he created. I was not doing those kinds yeah. of things when I was that age. He that created the sure. first Harry Potter fan site called, or one of the first, called MuggleNet. And it is now the most popular Harry Potter fan site in the world. Uh, but that's not 
the big money maker that he has. He's he's created a couple of sites called OM. Have you heard of this? OMGFacts.com. I don't know this either. No, I don't know this. The other one is Dose.com. I I didn't know them either, Uh, but I talked with some folks in the younger generation. They were very familiar with these sites. Basically, like, oh my God, she did this, and you'll never guess what happened next. Well. You know, I'm not a big fan of this kind of content, but I wanted to, the guy has really focused and figured out on analytics uh, and figured out basically what happened. How do you get people to change their behavior online or click on things or whatever? So there's a couple things I just pulled out of this because I'll put it in the show notes, but I thought it was it was fascinating. So the first part here, here, bear with me because I'm going through and trying to find it. Here it is. So he did all this research from. 12 to 17. I feel so like I haven't accomplished anything in life. It's like 17. So from 12 to 17, that's five years, he came up with this conclusion. People who change the world tend to be extraordinary, extraordinary influential before they change the world. Influence and impact were inextricably linked. And the more influence you have, the more impact you could you could create. I just thought that was interesting. That's wonderful. He learned yeah. that at such a young age oh to know gosh. that if he could be influential, he could then grow. I mean, that's what we talk about with our content sure. marketing programs, Absolutely. right? If we can create a loyal audience, then we are able to basically launch any number of products off of that. Um, so that was that was just the interesting part of this thing. The second thing, and I mean. It's worth the read just to figure it out. I'm not a big fan of the content, but it's interesting how he's, he's coming and learning this stuff. He basically says, there is a secret to viral content. The first secret is always, number one, it invokes an emotional response <laughs> from humor right. to inspiration to hope. And you talk about this in your master class all the time, that if you are going to uh, really get your audience loyal around your brand and your content and become a loyal member of your audience, you don't do it with logic and reason. You do it with emotion. That's why we talk about telling stories. So I think it's interesting that he's learned this and in a year and a half with this OMG Facts dot com site went from zero just started it out to 45 million unique visitors a month wow that's do amazing you, i mean do you believe just, this that's insane i mean i'm like man i gotta go work harder <laughs> i gotta <laughs> I gotta, I gotta yeah. get a job i gotta go i gotta go to launch a website because this guy is <laughs> he married another entrepreneur who's doing the same kind of it's just crazy but anyways i like that take on the emotional connection and i like the take on the idea of influences which both are very very relevant to content marketing awesome i love that story i love that story all right well i have um two short raves um, that I uh, wanted to just quickly put out there. Um, uh, at some point, I suppose I'm going to have to get back to my ranty little self. But um, but this week, again, I have two, two raves. Uh, a certain person will be happy with all this raving that we're doing. Um, anyway, so a big hat tip first off to Angela Hirsch for this uh, first one, which is, the headline of this article is getting a job with content marketing. Um, and this is this follow up. And if you, if you listen to the show last week, you heard me talk about three of my friends and then sort of this other thing that I had heard about where um, uh, the woman who got the job with uh, Austin City Limits uh, doing this wonderful performance of the Eminem song. And then three of my friends who have sort of emailed me separately and said, hey, I've been creating all this content and I've actually got a job because of it. And here is actually the reverse of that. 
so I wanted to just rave about it, which is um, this comes from tweetmyjobs.com, and we'll put this link in the show notes in case any of you, for whatever reason, wanted to apply for this job. This is a job posting from Giardelli Chocolate, um, which is up in San Francisco, just a little north of where I am in Los Angeles. And it's for the job, and it's a real job, and it's a real listing for what they're calling a chocolate ambassador. And basically the job is to represent, I'm quoting now from the job post, to represent Ghirardelli as a Ghirardelli chocolate ambassador in the marketplace at Ghirardelli Square with the purpose of, and I love this, delighting and educating customers. All they have to do is, quote, create chocolate theater. For an outgoing person with an affinity for food who wants to earn competitive pay talking about working with chocolate all day, no prior chocolate experience is needed. Are you in? Now, it's a very low-paying job. It's only 18 bucks an hour. Um, but it's basically the scope of responsibilities are to create handcrafted Giardelli chocolate stuff in front of audiences and basically perform chocolate theater in front of customers. I just thought it was a wonderful example of creating. Here's a company that's not only creating, going to hire somebody to create an experience using a content-driven experience to drive education and entertainment using chocolate, but also doing so in advertising for a person who's going to do this job in an entertaining and interesting way. And I thought it was a wonderful example there. Hey, I started uh, a convenient food mart at $3.25 an hour mop on the floor. So that nice. 18 bucks an hour at a chocolate place sounds pretty darn good to me. Nice. And my second rave um, is a review of, uh, not even a review, just a, a recommended book. I just finished this book. I was on a plane uh, this last week, and it's a very, very quick read. It's just a wonderful, wonderful book. It's not necessarily that new. It's called Daring Greatly, How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. It's by Brene Brown. She's got a TED Talk out and has been on TED a number of times. In fact, she's got one of the most popular TED Talks that is out there. Just an amazing, wonderful book. If you're looking for something that really talks through becoming more vulnerable and using that as a leadership method and how you actually parent better, lead better, lead teams better, manage better, it's just a fantastic – I cannot recommend this book more highly enough. And the one thing that I'll share from this because it just reminded me so much of the content work that I do with these marketing teams – she shares a story from. Uh, do you know? Do, have you ever read the Velveteen Rabbit? Do you know the Velveteen oh, Rabbit book? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, of course. So the Velveteen Rabbit is one of my favorite books, and the story she shares in that is just a great one. It's about when the skin horse is talking to the Velveteen Rabbit, and and uh, the skin horse, it's it, the the Velveteen Rabbit asks about how you become real, and the skin horse says, "Real isn't how you're made. It's a thing that happens to you." When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play, but really loves you, then you become real. And then the Velveteen Rabbit says, well, does it hurt? And the skin horse says, because the skin horse always says truthful things, he says, sometimes it does. He says, but when you're real, you don't mind getting hurt. Because it doesn't happen all at once. It takes a long time. And that's why it doesn't happen to people who break easily or have sharp edges or have to be carefully kept. By the time you're real, your hair's been loved off, your eyes drop out, you get loose in the joints, and it doesn't matter because once you're real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. Oh, my God, I just love that oh, so much. And 
when we think about our content, when we think about the story we're telling, that's all that's there, right? Why doesn't success come to us? More often than not, and more often in the places that I've visited where people are really struggling, it's because they're creating content that has no intention to be loved. They give in to creating the sharp edges of marketing or sales or making it very breakable and or making it so that it has to be so carefully kept up and updated. They don't allow this content to be created in a way that would be loved by this audience and warm out and dog-eared and tread upon and vulnerable. And there's just so much there that when we start to build focus in for our content teams, for the content we're creating, for our businesses, the objectives, the opening up and being vulnerable and building things that can be loved is just truly about something that can be real. And as we search for more authenticity, I think it's just a wonderful message. So it's a book that I can't rave enough about. It's just wonderful. Sounds fantastic. That's great. Yeah. All right, I have uh, this old marketing. You got this old marketing, and uh, yeah. this is and, and as you know, so I'm finishing up uh, the editing for Content Inc., which will be out in September. Dun, dun, super, dun. super excited. Uh, small plug. Super excited about it. Um, and this is one of the case studies that I really, really fell in love with. So I don't know if you know the case uh, study behind Anne Reardon, but I'm going to tell you that story right now. So Anne Reardon's from Sydney, Australia. And she's known as, you know, right now, the baking queen of YouTube. Um, but I want to tell you the backstory because it's interesting. So go back to 2011. She just gave birth to her third son, and she was looking for something to do during her night feeding. So she said, hey, I'm going to launch a recipe site called How to Cook That. So the site is called How to Cook That. And she basically wrote a recipe post every week and made some videos to complement the website. Um, she, if you go back even further before starting a family, she was a qualified food scientist, so she had a really an area of expertise. She was also a dietitian, so she understood how food mixed together. And at the same time, she was teaching and working with children, underprivileged children in the western portion of Australia. So lots of interesting things going on. But when she was with that. Uh, the poor youth group area, she was trying to get into marketing and, and um, helping them get their word out. And she started to edit videos and she self-taught herself to edit these videos. And at the same time, she's catering for events. Well, let's go fast forward back. So that's how she got the video background. Wow. And so she's, she's up at night. I mean, how many, you know, how many baking sites are there? There's a thousand, a million. Right, there's We're talking a, about trying to rise above the noise. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So think about all the recipe blogs and the how-to baking. They're nothing new. Um, so what would separate Anne? Uh, we know we call that the content tilt. You know what separates her message, and this is the whole thing. And you just brought this up: the whole idea of commodity content. That's yeah. where there's so much content out there. Nobody's willing to take a chance. Nobody wants to talk about something truly, truly differentiated. And so she created all her recipes and baking focused on seemingly impossible creations. Like when you look at them, you're like, how in the world did somebody make that or bake oh, that or cook that? that? So that. some examples are, she says, okay, how do I make a cake out of five pounds of Snickers bars? Like, okay. <laughs> I'll good. take that cake. And I don't That's know, a good cake well, right there. And you might, might remember this. Do you, have, you, have you seen some pictures about a cake that when you slice it open, it looks like the Instagram logo? Have you seen this? No. I oh, it's heard fantastic. Of this. It's got a, a millions and millions of views. She basically made a cake, and from the outside, you can't see anything, and you slice it open, and it's a perfect replica of the Instagram logo. That's it looks, brilliant. It was, it was perfect. It basically, you know, she goes on, and as, as, as you know, I was doing research on Anne, she basically went 
for, you know, she says for every single breath you take, there are eight hours of new video footage uploaded to YouTube. So I have to give viewers a good reason to come back and watch my channel. There so that's is. a good one, right? So she started January 2012. She had a party because she had a hundred, her 100th subscriber on YouTube. So she's thrilled. So exactly three years later, um, she receives more than 3,000 comments per week. And okay. in an average month, she'll see over 16 million views of her videos, well over 1 million subscribers to her channel. Uh, her and her husband are like kind of working the working the gig together, growing this thing like crazy. She's done a number of sponsored content opportunities with brands such as Breville and World Kitchen. Uh, she's got an app out there. She's monetizing it like we talked about Apple. She's monetizing it in multiple ways. But I love this story first because of the fact that she differentiated it right off the bat. And I think that's the most important thing. It's like, why, if, you know, there's all these, all this baking and food content out there, why in the world would somebody want to come to my site? You've got to first focus on that. The second thing is look at the time period, January 2012. Look at today, three years later, she made it work. Let's go back to the Honda example. Exactly. What if Honda did that for three years consistently around an area that was differentiated and told a different story? Would they be successful? What kind of asset would they have built? Right. That's the key here. Is not it's not what campaign did they drive. It's what asset they're building, and that's a different. It's a different way of thinking. It's just it just is. Well, it's it's so interesting is because most of the case studies in the book are focused on entrepreneurs and small businesses that had absolutely no resources. It's amazing the creativity you're gonna you're seeing out of these entrepreneurs and the patience, for that matter, that you don't have to deal with the political issues, the red tape, the timetables, and the campaigns at big companies, which is why there's a huge opportunity for people out there with no resources because you can pretty much do whatever you want to do as long as you have the patience around an area that you really have a different content niche focus. So, Love it. There you go. Love it. I love it. Love it. All right. Where are you going? What are you doing? What's Um, up for you this week? I am. Uh, let's see. What am I doing? I'm here. I've one. I'm done oh, with my trip nice. for the summer. I, I have oh, one more trip. You. I have one more day trip to see um, some friends down at Disney. Uh, do a little uh, executive retreat down there. But other than that's a day trip. So I'll be going down to Orlando from Cleveland and coming right back. But I have no more travel. I'm finishing up editing of the book. We're getting the the imagery done. All this kind of stuff. Uh, we're we're making it happen. And uh, I'm just glad I'm. I'm not traveling anywhere this nice. week. Are you traveling this week? Oh yes, I, I travel every week now. Just about in the summertime, I'm I'm. Oh, that's right. I'm not traveling, and you are traveling. Yeah, it takes up. Yeah, it's it's yeah. This week, I, so this week I'm in Salt Lake City. I'm going to visit an insurance company to a um, uh, big big regional insurance company to talk about their content marketing strategy. Um, then I uh, I do a quick stop in Silicon Valley for just a meeting, and then I'm home for the weekend. And then literally on a plane Sunday, I head to Toronto. London, back to New York, then to Seattle, and then home um, for yeah. So I'm gone for a good week and a half. So it's going to be an interesting wow. couple of weeks for us to record the show. That's we'll, for sure. we'll figure it out. The one thing that I did that, that I did want to mention is uh, we've had quite a few of our listeners request to get the links to the news articles earlier because as you, you know you're going to mention here in a second you can get them on saturday you get all the show notes on saturday and we usually publish monday night you can get it uh, tuesday morning eastern time the what i'm going to try to do is i'm going to try to put the links into the notes that you immediately see on itunes and stitcher i'm going to try that 
So for all you people that are asking, I'm going to do it. We're going to do it tonight. We're going to upload it. Because we love you. Because it's all about the audience. It's all about you. It doesn't matter about the time it's going to take me to do it. (laughs) It doesn't matter how long it takes me to get this done or how hard it is to do. (laughs) So anyways, I want to let everybody know we're going to try that tonight. We're going to see how it works. I want to get feedback on this old marketing hashtag, and we'll see how we go. Fantastic. Well, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And, you know, hashtag us up. We love those news ideas. Hashtag this old marketing and uh, follow it. Love it. Learn it. See the notes in the thing. And, you know, if you got a question that you just have to send an email, this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 82, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links we're going to try for this week, as you heard in the show notes. But you'll also be able to see all the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturday when we publish the show post. And we do hope you'll tune in next week when we're going to hear Joe say, Yes, sir, Captain Tight Pants. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.